Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. Today's Baseball America Podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. Baseball America Podcast listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BA20 today. Now it's time to talk baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade, and welcome to another Baseball America College podcast. I'm John Manuel, along with Mike Lavanna, Jim Schroeder, Ted Cahill, uh, brought to you by SeatGeek. We'll tell you a little bit more about SeatGeek and the Find SeatGeek app in a few minutes. But guys, let's just dive right in to this week's college poll and college rankings. Uh, pretty topsy-turvy week, guys. I guess I, I told you guys I was going to start somewhere else. I should start in this other place. Uh, six new teams in this week's top 25, a new number one as Miami loses a home series to Virginia. Six new teams. Is this the most turnover we've had this year, Teddy? I think it is. It it? is, yeah. And it feels a little unusual. Jimmer, you've been compiling these for like eight years. It feels kind of unusual to have this much turnover this late in the season. Is it unusual? Is it unprecedented? I haven't – I mean, you haven't looked it up. Yeah, that would take take some digging. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. You know, there have been weeks where we might have four, maybe five. But I feel like a normal week is, you know – Two or three is probably about the average. But Especially I mean, this time of year. Yeah. We have been doing about three or four lately, and um, six is six is definitely the most this year. It feels like this was the most uh, tumultuous week in the rankings all year. It did start at the top with the University of Miami. I will <laughs> temper my uh, desire to imitate Jim Morris, but uh, the University of Miami loses a series at home. It's their second series loss of the year. They've both been at home, right? Florida mm-hmm. and Virginia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, good teams, certainly, that they've lost to. <laughs> um, but, Mike, uh, we, we kind of wanted to use this as a jumping-off point for this week's podcast was to talk a little bit about the ACC. You've seen a lot of ACC games this year. <laughs> You've seen a, you saw some more this weekend. Yeah. Um, but this league, I guess what we're trying to figure out is, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a good sign that the team that was the number one in the country and was the best team in the ACC all year coming into this past weekend loses a series at home to a Virginia team that is playing better but certainly hasn't been stupendous, hasn't been a great year for the Cavaliers this year. Um, do we think this is a good Atlantic Coast Conference, a good, a better than average year in the ACC, or do we feel like this is uh, more of a squishy ACC year where there's not really a great team? I, I guess I thought a couple weeks ago this was a really strong year for the league because the bottom is better. Yeah. Now there is that school of thought, but it also feels like maybe the top's a little squishy to use that word again. <laughs> I, I can't decide which. Where, where do you fall? Good year for the ACC or yeah. meh? <laughs> I can see both sides of that argument. I tend to think it's a good year for the ACC just because the the gap between the top and the bottom. And the, I mean, I think the the teams at the bottom are legitimately good teams. You know, I've I've talked a lot this year about how I like Boston College. I've talked a lot this year about how I like Wake Forest and, and those kinds of teams. And this was a and good this, this a good weekend for if you like those teams <laughs> yeah. weekend. Yeah, it was a good it was a good weekend, uh, making me look a little smarter with uh, you know Wake Forest the second straight weekend they've they've beaten a top twenty five ACC team with Florida State last weekend, UNC this weekend, and then Boston College taking a series against Louisville. You know, I I think I am a, a little bit surprised. With obviously we all had high expectations coming into this year with Louisville. I am a little surprised that they haven't had the success on the road so far. That's been a big issue for them. They haven't won a road series, I believe, so far this year. 
So, and then... Teddy, Teddy very quick yeah. to shake his head no, because we've heard that every Sunday for yeah. the last four weeks on, on yeah. uh, rankings calls. So, and this weekend's another one of those. I mean, the, this this BC series, Yeah. my guess, it's not, it shouldn't be news necessarily that BC holds down on other team's offense. They're, I know that we've we've seen Justin yeah. Dunn really good this year, Mike. I mean, and Jacob Stevens, too. I don't think Jacob Stevens gets enough credit. A, a, a freshman, he's, he doesn't look like a freshman. He's a big boy. He's and like two Justin Dunn's. He's like he's like two Justin Dunn's smushed together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's he's started on Friday this weekend, and he shut Louisville down. And Louisville's a, a solid-hitting club, a very balanced offense. And, uh, you know, the same for Justin Dunn. You know, they've kind of like what Arkansas did with Zach Jackson. They've moved Dunn into the, the starting rotation from the closers role, and he's been great. He hasn't missed a beat. He's got the arsenal. He's got a starter's arsenal. Um, and, you know, with those two along with Mike King, who's a very solid college right. starter in his own right, I mean, they, they're going to, you know, pitch well against teams. They don't have the most high-power offense, but, you know, they're going to, they're gonna, you know, hold their own against some of the top pitchers in the conference. So I'm not... Super surprised. Obviously, Louisville's the favorite going into that series, uh, for sure. But I, I think I tend to think the ACC is stronger this year, just because teams like Boston College and teams like Wake Forest and even Duke at times this year yeah. has had moments where it's played very well. And so you know, I do the the middle of the ACC. I'm kind of worried about a, a little bit. You know, you look at what UNC has done this month. You know, they've had a bad month. They've been six and <laughs> yeah. eleven this month. You know, other than a you know a fifteen nothing midweek win against South Carolina, which was a great showing for them. Other than that, I don't know what you hang your hat on in the month of April if you're yeah. UNC. I wonder what UNC's run differential is this month because they have two fifteen run victories. Yeah. Because they also beat William and Mary seventeen to two. Yeah. But they've had a bad losing month, so their run differential probably says good things about them. We'll, we'll talk more about them later, but. Yeah. Uh, tell you, I, I tend to side with Mike that I do think it's a strong year in the ACC, mostly because those those bottom teams are better. That you have a team like Clemson that's number ten in the RPI, but nine and twelve in the league overall. But I, I get the sense from you that you view this as a less than great year in the league because there's a lack of a great team. I feel like you've come around a little bit on the league the last couple weeks, but am I characterizing your no? That's right. There, I I. Look at the strength of the conference, maybe more at the elite team level. You know, it's nice that these bottom feeder, traditional bottom feeders, are winning some series. But I think they're winning series because the elite teams aren't elite this year. You know, you talk, you look at Miami, and they've been number one, and they were incredibly hot, and they've cooled off a little bit now. But you know, you talk to people about Miami, and they talk about how it's a more balanced team this year, and it is than they were last year. They were very offensive last year, but. You look at Miami, and there's not a lot of depth there. And there's often not a lot of depth with the Hurricanes. They, right. they have some inherent uh, difficulties in, in, in getting depth at that school. But they don't have a ton of depth. And I, you look at the pitching staff, and it's solid. But is that, is that really a pitching staff that's gonna, you know, that you can ride if your bats don't have a good weekend? Um, you know, on Friday night, Thomas Woodry is, is a, you know okay college lefty. He's you know, just in that general character, you know, general kind of player and right. he, he pitches well for them he has a good track record but he's not overpowering Danny Garcia's probably the best prospect and he's pitching on Sundays and he's good but he's not great and Medavia on Saturdays again good he's not great so you know, 
their bullpen has been really good, but you know, I, Miami just doesn't have a ton of depth, and Florida State's kind of the same way in their pitching staff. I don't know that either of those pitching staffs are, are going to be good enough, ultimately, if you're, if you're looking at a national championship-type club. They both can hit well enough to win a national championship, probably, but at some point, those pitching staffs are, you know, the, especially those starters, I think might, that might become a problem. And Louisville has the depth, but something's wrong there. I mean, right. <laughs> I, I know I say it a lot, but they have lost. Their four series losses are all on the road. You've got to win on the road. Like, at some point, you've got to win. Something doesn't compute because they are first in the ACC in runs scored. They're second in the ERA. They're first in batting. Statistically, Louisville's far and away the best team in this league, the most complete team. They're a good defensive team. They have speed. feels like they're somewhat efficient defensively. Yeah. Teddy, then Jim, you guys fill fill me in. What what what's happened? Why is Louisville less than the sum of its parts? You know, I really am not quite sure where it's coming from. I think part of the the biggest problem it seems like from the outside is that the starting pitching has not been as good as it was last year. That Brendan McKay has taken a, a small step back. I mean, it which was is pro- like realistic, right? Not- it was probably going to be impossible for him to repeat what he did last year. And Kyle Funkhauser's. Um, you know, he, he just hasn't been able to get out of that funk that's lasted, you know, for basically a full calendar year now. And, and he was their stopper yesterday, to use right, a, yeah. a, a, an old term. But, I mean, like, he when they needed him to avoid a sweep on the road, he actually did come through with one of his better starts of the year. Yeah, and Drew Harrington, to this point, has been, you know, their best starter statistically, and I mean, that was not what anyone was expecting. So I, I don't know what's going wrong with Louisville particularly. I mean, Obviously, not a ton is really going wrong. They've only lost right. nine times this year. But this was a team coming into the year we thought it was Florida, Louisville, and the rest of the country. And they are not playing like that right now. And I think that is clouding what I see in the ACC that, that you know, nobody is really yeah. taking this by the horns. You know, NC State is, has been really good at times this year. At times, they're, they're a little flummoxing. I think their pitching staff kind of falls into what I was talking about. With uh, Florida State and Miami, you know, it's good, but it's not great. I do think they're the deepest team in the league. I, I up the top the bottom lineup and pitching staff. I mean, Jimmer, this is a good jumping off point mm-hmm. for you because uh, Louisville. First, like, do you agree with me that State is the deepest team? And second of all, does Louisville's road problems that Teddy detailed? They're still second in the RPI. Yeah. H- how how much uh, do they have to win a road series to get a top eight national seed? I mean, I still think they're poised to host, but are they, uh, you know, th- these top eight national seeds in the ACC outside of Miami, and they're not even secure. I don't think any of these top ACC teams have no, secured it's... one, but you do feel like two or three of those teams are going to be top eight national seeds, right? Yeah, I would still say three of them will be, just because there's not that many other candidates. But yeah, I mean, Louis, I mean the, the road record for Louisville, I mean, it would be an issue. I don't think it would necessarily preclude them from being a national seed. I mean, they're still... 31 and 9, 14 and 7 in the conference. If they finish, you know, second place in the division or if they win the division, I think they'll still get one, even if, I mean, you have to believe they would win a road series to do that. Right. I mean, they still have to play, what, North Carolina and Wake Forest on the road, I think we were saying. Yeah. yeah. So those are, as long as if they win at least one of those, and preferably both, they probably would be all right. Um, but I mean, they still have to play uh, the NC State. Head-to-head uh, series is in Louisville, which may be fortunate for them. But so I mean, that's going to be a huge series. I mean, that could be a you know for all the marbles as far as who's being a national seed. Um, I mean, they already lost to Florida State, so that kind of gives them a, a FSU a leg up. But 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Wolfpack's kind of got to get healthy. I know they're dealing with, um, you know, they were without Steven Patera for a while. Now he's back, but now they lose Josh McClain with a hand injury. So he's got to, they've got to work through that. They haven't had Joe O'Donnell. They've hadn't had Joe O'Donnell, one of their, who had been one of their better weekend starters. So that's all, you, know, you kind of wonder how that might add up. I mean, they've dealt with it so far, but obviously they got a big game with the uh, ECU tonight, Monday night, who ECU, who, Drilled them last week. So. Right, another big loss. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's that's a big game, and that's you know, another good RPI game. I think ECU's in the twenties or thirties right now. They are thirty, so that's another good one. And now um, a top twenty-five team. East and that's Carolina. now a top twenty-five team. So yeah, I mean, Pirates, another team that could at least be on the fringe of the hosting race. But uh, yeah, the, you know, those four ACC teams. You right now, I would have three of them. I mean, it's just the RPI is just. Right now, the top eight in the RPI RPI are all ACC and SEC, and nine of the top ten. And some of those teams have better resumes than others, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is going to be interesting to see what we're going to talk about uh, with with regional hosts and that conversations as we get closer to it. I don't think that's any clearer, um, but those are going to be hard tickets to get in a lot of places around Mm -hmm. the country. And if you've ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets like regional tickets online, you know that you know that many sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek, as we told you about all spring. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. You know, um, concert tickets in North Carolina have been a little iffy lately because of things going on off the uh, off the concert stage. Uh, the resale tickets uh, for Pearl Jam and Bruce Springsteen those weren't helpful because you just had to get rebates because uh, they canceled those uh, concerts. But if you had tried to buy Pearl Jam tickets. I think you would have wanted to go on SeatGeek, download it onto your phone, and use it to get the cheapest tickets you could get. They've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets because SeatGeek puts all the tickets available from other sites into one place. You save time and you never miss a deal, and you can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find those underpriced seats to Charlotte Hornets playoff tickets. Get them now because there aren't going to be very many games left. They blues Blackhawks game seven tonight. That's uh, that's for yeah, the, that, people. That's for the Jose de Jesus Ortiz fans in the yeah. baseball America audience. Uh, you can uh, before you buy, every ticket gets a grade based on value. And before you buy, you can see this detailed maps on SeatGeek's website to see the view from your seat. Best of all, the SeatGeek app is always honest and upfront about price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish, and it never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Remember, the Baseball America podcast listeners can get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It's very easy to do. We implore you to do it. Get your uh, $20 rebate on tickets by downloading the free SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code BA20, that's BA20, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. That's SeatGeek, and the promo code is BA20. You want to thank SeatGeek again for being part of the Baseball America podcast. And, uh, Jimmer, I'm, I'm just sorry that there aren't uh, Stanley Cup playoff tickets in this area. I, know. Well, I, I love to. that this gives me a window to wedge in some hockey talk. It even does. That's even pretty, if it's only for five seconds. It, uh, that's, that's pretty much your only chance. If there's a Jimmer and Vince podcast I know, later. Since Vince isn't in the office anymore, this is the best chance I get. I'll throw in one more podcast question. Did the Islanders end up winning last night? They did win in uh, double overtime. See, I don't stand for that kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> but I do have a lot of Islanders fans in my in my Twitter timeline. But Adam Rubin was up. He was up and excited about yeah, that? Yeah. I have a lot of old college friends uh, who are long, strong Islanders, as I like to say. 
Um, they were excited, excitedly tweeting about it. But um, this time of year is tough, I think, sometimes for college baseball to get some footing mm-hmm. without the hardcore fans. I think people don't always realize that. That's why the, the attention always seems to come in May after your you know, NBA gets winnowed down, your NHL gets winnowed down, and you know now everyone's going to want to talk about Tom Brady. But I do think if you talk about college baseball, you are going to be struck. Any national look at this, you're struck by just how dominated the top of that RPI is by the ACC and the SEC. We talked about the Pac-12 last week and how weak it is. I Actually, the, the podcast discussion made me write my column of the Big West. And then this week, guys, we have freaking Santa Barbara get swept by Cal Poly. So I want to pivot to the West a little bit. And then we're talking about the SEC, but I do want to pivot to the West a bit because the West still is not best. It is disturbing to see Santa Barbara get swept. All's quiet on the Western front. <laughs> I agree, Mike. Uh, good, good World War One reference. So nicely like done. Um, this league, uh, the, the, these two leagues, this this region. Who is going to host out west? The Gauchos are not going to host. Not not the, the way they're going. They can't. They can't do it facilities wise. Um, that that's not going to happen again. The pack to the West Coast Conference. Gonzaga is now leading that league. Gonzaga's not going to host, are they? Their RPI is 51? Yeah, I no, mean, that, like that. that seems very unlikely. St. Mary's has a better RPI. They can't are in host. The, yeah, they can't host on campus. I don't know what the NorCal uh, minor league situation is. We investigated the SoCal. We've not looked at the NorCal yet. Now, I didn't even think to ask Coach Valenzuela, but I did talk to Eric Valenzuela about that. He said they have no plans to host. So I don't even think they're exploring right. the other part of it. <laughs> Last year, it really took a creative... Uh, entity like the Lake Elsinore Storm to host. I do want people to remember that last year that was poo-pooed a lot of college baseball circles, but not this circle. We're actually sitting at a circular table. We did not record the podcast at this circular table last year, but in this circle, we were uh, actually hopeful and uh, optimistic about that regional being good, and it was a good regional. And, of course, it produced the national champion as UVA went out there and won that regional and then won the whole doggone thing. I suppose BYU could host... Their RPI isn't sterling, but if they win the West Coast Conference, you know, they do play Gonzaga. Well, they've already lost to St. Mary's. Pepperdine, right. But they play Gonzaga this coming weekend. They've got Pepperdine, San Francisco, Santa Clara. They have four league series left. I suppose BYU could host, but yeah. that would be a cluster with them not playing on yeah. Sundays. I mean, Micah, is there any – who in your mind, who would you, where would you put a West Coast Regional this year? Uh, any, or would you give any West Coast team a regional to host? Uh, I wouldn't be happy about handing one to any team right now, especially if Santa Barbara can't host. The one thing I was going to say is, as you were going on there was, you know, it's possible, you know, it was a similar case last year, it's possible Cal State Fullerton could sneak into the mix. You know, I, th- I think right now they're the most yeah. likely one. They've, they've, they're tied for first place in the Big West right now, Cal Poly. And you look at their schedule, they have series against Santa Barbara and Long Beach State both remaining if they do work in those series. But that's a harder schedule than Polly has, and Polly's already yeah. beaten Fullerton. I mean, if there's going to be a host or coming out of the Big West, I think it would be Polly at this point. Ooh. The way they're playing and... A reprise of their 2014 <laughs> regional host that I completely forgot about. I mean, and, and neither one of those teams has good RPIs. Polly's at 62 and Fullerton's at 59. I mean, I, I think if there's going to be a West Coast host, it's going to be the Pac-12 champion, and it's just going to kind of be reflexive that, you know, they, the winner of the Pac-12 gets a host. And whether that's Oregon State, whether that's Cal recovering, whether that's Arizona or Washington I State. I think Arizona's high. the team. Arizona, that's where I was just headed. 
Arizona made its case. And, Arizona, uh, which got swept by Utah four weeks ago, but it's been good <laughs> since then. That is and lost to Washington, but, or no? They no, they they did lose to Washington. I you know I don't know what to make of, it, of the Wildcats. They're obviously playing much better now, but well, that's what I wanted to talk about. I mean, like Arizona was front and center on their Saturday night game against Cal. That I think Roxy Bernstein and uh, Mike wa- Rooney still haven't left that ball that ballpark yet. <laughs> I watched uh, that whole thing too. What <laughs> you watched all that? <laughs> it was a long game. That was iffy. That was a long game. It was iffy. And ended, uh, ended around 3 in the morning, I think. Mike, you're a younger man, obviously, than I. That's one, that's one more uh, example why. But, guys, Arizona has uh, – they, they sweep through the NorCal. They, they won two out of three against Stanford. They sweep Cal. They won the Wazoo series, which, you know, they should do that. They beat UCLA at home. So, Arizona now, still four league series left at USC. O-State ball is at Arizona State at home. Oregon on the road. Jimmer, it really does feel like Arizona has the highest RPI in the league. Mm-hmm. feels like if Arizona finishes first or second in the Pac-12, they're going to host a regional. And I that's so. crazy in Jay Johnson's first season there. Yeah, I mean, if they can, if they win the league and get into, say, the top 25-ish of the RPI, they probably would. I mean, they're gonna, I mean, I know the committee would love to have something out there. Even if, I mean, if Arizona has to, like, host us at two or something, if UCSB gets, you know, maybe that could be their landing spot. But, um yeah, I mean, I think they're they're the best bet right now. If you're looking for a host west of, you know, the mid, west of the Midwest, um, <laughs> I mean, U Dub is like U Dub is still in the first place. But yeah, yeah. so their RPI's got more to go. But we know we know U Dub has a new park that would be they a would good sure showcase. Love, yeah, they'd so love they would, to do that. They would probably love to get one there. But yeah, they're 47th, so they've got. I mean, they would have to finish hot. I mean, Arizona still. I mean, Arizona's still. You know, only ten and eight in the conference, so they do have to. UW is get not going to. The schedule does it favors in terms of winning this conference, but it does not do it RPI favors. They still have Cal, USC on the road, and then Washington State's and Stanford, and then at Utah, and most of those teams are sub one hundred RPI. How about how about this? I looked up in the Pac twelve tells you a little bit about you know, the league that the top two strikeout guys in the league in conference games are Tristan Beck and Kyle Molnar. Both guys who were top 100 guys for us in the high, I mean, probably top 75 guys draft-wise last year. Um, I know that Tristan Beck turned down a lot of money um, from the Braves to go uh, to Stanford. We know Kyle Molnar turned down big money as well to go to UCLA, even though he's a lot more of a firm bet. Um, but those are your two top, those are your two strikeout leaders in Pac-12 games. Well, I think that plus this talk about Arizona and Jay Johnson's first year is kind of indicative of where the Pac-12 is. You know, it's a it's a conference kind of in transition. There have been yeah. a lot of coaching changes. Yeah, I think we've talked about that before. I know I've talked about how great their recruiting classes were. How every team seemed to hold on to one or two of their top guys last year. Right. Stanford got Beck and UCLA got Hooper, who has not been that great, but they yeah. also got Molnar. Um, and, you know, it just went on all throughout the conference. And I think the conference, the future looks good. Right. The this, freshman class in this league, yeah. Eric, Oregon State, we've talked about their freshmen, UW with the MERS and other, and uh, Rapidino. There are good freshmen in this league, but the upperclassmen across the board in the league, and I'm really looking squarely at Cal, <laughs> the upperclassmen in this league have either been hurt, in Dalton Jeffrey's case, or just really haven't come through. Yeah, the I mean, when you talk to scouts out there, and I mean, this has been going on. It's not new to the spring. We knew this going into the year that, that this would be a bad draft year, and that's now that has that has rolled over into it being just a bad year college baseball for for these teams. I guess the other guy I'm looking at squarely here is, is Bobby Dahlbeck. 
But Bobby Dahlbeck... He's having a decent year. He's having a great year pitching. Yeah. <laughs> he's had a great year on the mound. But this guy... Um, it, it, this is one of the more inexplicable college baseball years I can never remember by an individual player. First of all, to flail so uselessly for Team USA as he did last summer at the plate. Then to go to the Cape, what do you hit, 12 home runs in two weeks? Something stupid. Eight home runs in it two was, weeks? It was 12 home runs. I don't know how many of those were in the final two weeks once he got back, but it was 12 home runs overall. So 12 home runs overall. He comes in as really like the top power prospect in the country among college hitters this year. It doesn't mean that he was the top prospect, but the most power. He was our first team All-America as a utility guy. He started three times down the mound. He has... 13 wins and saves out of 17 appearances. He's like the he's like uh, Arizona's like a Red Auerbach cigar. Like you know, he's a guarantee <laughs> of victory for them on the mound. It's very strange. I know that he's pitched well, but the, did anyone see anything close to this coming with Bobby Dahlbeck? Could anyone have seen this coming that he was going to be like basically Arizona's most important player? But as a pitcher, not as a hitter, he's hitting 221, and it's a soft 221. You know, the, there was a major question going into this year about what Arizona was going to do on the mound. They lost a lot there, and right. there, there were a lot of there's a lot of innings that were going to be available. And um, you know, so that he has become one of the most important players, I don't think is all that surprising. You know, he pitched well last year when he pitched, um, but the way that he's been used, the versatility that he showed, has been very impressive. He, um, He's already eight innings shy of what he did last year, innings-wise. I wish I remember where I saw the stat so I could call it back up again. But, he, like, he's gone more than 100 pitches a few times, and he's, you know, gone one-inning bursts a few times. Like, he, they, Jay Johnson is just using Bobby Dahlbeck wherever, however, and Dahlbeck is succeeding no matter what role Jay puts him in. And, and I know Johnson has wanted to start him, and sometimes he hasn't been able to because he's felt like he's needed to use Dahlbeck out of the bullpen. Um, but he's definitely been one of their, their best pitchers, no doubt. And, you know, he, they're not where they are without him pitching. It's a, it's a startlingly strong season for him on the mound, at least to me. Mike, what else did you see out of Arizona this weekend? What else uh, floated your boat about the Wildcats? How, how are they in position to kind of steal a, a regional host spot in Jay Johnson's first year? Well, you know, I just saw that that wild thirteen inning game, but uh, I think Cal was pretty unimpressive in that game. Yeah, Cal. Seemed, it seemed like to me watching the parts of that game I watched, the Cal. We could see why we ranked Cal in the preseason. You could see their talent. Yeah. But like Rune said during the broadcast, Mike Rune just said something's off with this Cal team. Yeah. And it's evident they are just from a timing standpoint. It feels like it feels like a team that in basketball runs its offense, but the shot goes in and out. They just can't. They can't buy a bucket right now. They can't buy a hit when they need it. They can't make a pitch when they need it. And Don Jeffries and Ryan Mason are obviously didn't pitch this weekend either. Yeah. But, but did, so I guess I summed up Cal's problem. What, what, what's Arizona doing right when you see him? Yeah. Well, you know the one the one thing about that game is they just didn't quit offensively. I mean, every time every time Cal simple. yeah. I mean, every time Cal scored and punched back, they punched right back too. Um, you know, and yeah, Dahlbeck hasn't hit, but they've gotten contributions from, you know, Zach Gibbons has been very good for them this year. And, you know, Ryan, Ryan Aguilar, he had the big three run home run off of Alex Schick, which that was kind of an unusual situation for Schick to make his debut. And at that point in the season, he's, he's missed the entire year with the knee injury. But, you know, I think they've been, you know, a, a solid offensive club for the most part, you know, despite Dahlbeck's struggles. 
Um, it is strange to see the kind of year that he's had, and you know they, they've pitched well enough. You know I don't know that they're going to have a you know an ace out there that's going to you know blow the ball by you, but you know Dalbeck's obviously been been huge out of the pen for them there. So it's it's a, yeah. and, and Utah finally lost a, a Pac-12 series this weekend, so uh, to Oregon State. I guess that's the other team. RPI be damned. I mean, if, if Oregon State wins the Pac-12, guys, are they going to host a regional? Even if, if they're a two seed, I mean. That RPI is pretty low, Jimmer. Yeah, I have to look at what try to pull up what their schedule is. But I mean, if they finish strong enough, you figure it would probably climb high enough to like. Their schedule is is decent. I mean, the run in is they still have Arizona, so that's a good one. They have Stanford this weekend. They have Oregon, USC, UCLA. So those are some some of the better RPI teams in the conference. So I mean, it's it seems there's if if the path is that I mean they have to play better than I mean they're eight and seven. I mean, they did beat Utah, but <laughs> Utah's still 14-22. Yeah, that's iffy. And but, but it was just two weeks ago they lost to Wazoo. So, it's, but I mean, so, you know, they did what they had to do. But, so, yeah, the path is there for them if they take care of Stanford and Arizona. And so there's there's enough there, enough, opportun- enough RPI opportunity there. But, I mean, they still have to show more than what they've done uh, to this point. I'll tell you what also throws me off is just uh, you look at the conference RPIs on WarrenNolan.com and the SEC and ACC are very close at one and two. The Pac-12 is right there with Conference USA, the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve, and then the Big Ten's not too far off. But Pac-12, Conference USA, Big Twelve, there's not a big difference there. I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is the geography seems to be the only thing that would argue the case for the Pac-12. Um, we haven't talked about the SEC on this podcast. We also haven't talked much about Conference USA. I don't feel like on the podcast this year, we, at least not when I've been on it, we do have a lot of Conference USA teams that have been ranked in and out of the rankings. And this week, we ran up Southern Mississippi, and uh, that was with good reason. They won their series with Rice. They were basically 26 last week, Teddy. Southern Miss was. We ran them up four, to 14 this week. That was a dramatic move, mostly because... Anybody else in the top 13 was just kind of uh, made us shake our heads this week. And, you know, we had Rice that we didn't want to fall too far down, but they are behind Southern Miss, and Southern Miss just beat them head-to-head. Those two teams are the class of Conference USA right now, but that's a deep league. It doesn't feel like anything's settled in that league, but uh, did did Southern Miss convince you this weekend that they're the best team in that conference? Uh, Well... I don't know about convince. They are definitely the team to beat right now. They have they're in sole possession of first place. They and Rice went into that series tied it um, in the standings, and so they now hold the one game advantage on Rice, and they'll have a chance to consolidate that a little bit this weekend because they play uh, Florida Atlantic, which is third and two games out. Um, so if they can if they can go into Boca and get another series win, they're they're going to be in great shape. It was a weird week for FAU. They beat Miami midweek, but then lose the, the series was, in the week, and they lost week two in a row. Yeah, and it was a weird uh, Two of three, I think. Two of three, okay. And it was a weird week for Southern Miss. Um, you know, they got blown out by Tulane in the midweek, and right. then they come back and, uh, you know, managed to, to win the series against Rice. So it's a, it's a strange conference. Rice's pitching is very strong. Their hitting is not. And I didn't realize quite how bad their hitting was until I was reading Jim's uh, weekend preview. He previewed the series and he detailed just how poorly they were hitting coming into the weekend. And that 
Uh, kind of bore out. Southern Miss uh, held them to six runs. Rice held Southern Miss to seven runs. But <laughs> it was it was a it was a very good series. When I talked it was to a raised seams kind of series, it was. When I talked to Scott Barry last night, you know, he noted that there were only thirteen runs. They were all one run games. There was only one error the entire weekend. It, like I think that probably was one of the best played series all year anywhere in the country was was Rice and Southern Miss. In terms of just the high caliber of play and yeah. clean baseball. Yeah. I love clean baseball, yes. which is not always easy to find in college baseball. So when you see a series that has just one, you know, three run-run games, they're all clo- they're all they're all low scoring, right. no mistakes for them really, just the one error. Um, I mean that that to me is is a great series to watch. And the thing for uh yeah, I can't get past this for Southern Miss is uh, is it uh, is it Cord Cockrell who's got the Jake Degrom lookalike oh, yeah. hair? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is not Jake Degrom stuff <laughs> by any stretch, but he at least emulates the hair. I think um, he I think he pulls off the look a little better personally because he has he has the scruff too. You know, I think I tell you what helps you pull off the look like that is if you throw ninety nine. So yeah. let's, let's let's give it up to Stetson's uh, Jake Degrom because but but Cord Cockrell does look you know. He looks older than, say, a fifth-year. He's a fifth-year senior, right? I mean, he's a transfer from Louisiana Lafayette. He's, a, he's an older guy. Um, but that team really does pitch, and, and Rice pitches. Um, so I guess I'm not surprised. It feels like both those teams are sustainable, Teddy. Now, are the, both those teams regional hosts? I mean, Southern Miss certainly seems like they should be if they win this league. If you win the number four RPI league, yeah. probably should be a regional host. Yeah, I think they're, they've put themselves in that kind of position. And Rice still could be as well. They both have decent RPIs and um, – you know, it's a good league, and there somebody has to host because, <laughs> right. again, the West is, is not going to pick up its usual three spots. So somebody has to pick up that slack. Nobody wants it. <laughs> nobody wants it this week. Um, I, I, think the, I think Conference USA deserves some of it. Let's, let's, uh, let's back up and go to the Southeastern Conference. This is the best league in the country, um, RP, according to the RPI. Um, you've got Florida, Texas A&M, and Mississippi State. One, two, three at the top of our rankings. Uh, guys, Mississippi State just kind of, this is kind of what they've done all year, isn't it? Um, they, their resume remains the best resume in college baseball. Is it nine? And they had the ugly sweep against AM where they give up 30 runs. Outside, of, and then they had the opening week game where they lost two to Florida. Yeah, FAU I still think Florida has the best resume. They have that series win against Miami and the series win against A and M. Those are very good series wins. Mississippi so, State and their losses are like, I don't want to. You're you're splitting hairs here, really, but they, um, you know, they didn't get blown out like Mississippi right. State did. They did, and that, that that weekend is inexplicable to me for Mississippi State. But uh, I didn't realize until this weekend that Nathan Lowe, their first baseman, is the older brother of as a John Lowe, the guy who's a draft prospect in Marietta this year. Oh yeah, what's his um, first name? I, I'm Josh. Josh. Josh Lowe. This is his older brother. You know, um, Nathan Lowe's uh, apparently uh, family is family friends with my wife's uncle, who's been asking me about him for two years when he's a junior college, and now I'm finding out that they're brothers and all this kind of stuff. This, I guess, my point is. This team's uh, – it does feel like they don't have Florida's depth. It does feel like Mississippi State, again, like offensively. Oh, it's deep. They have a lot of different ways to beat you. It's deep. And that's what's played out all year. And I think it's deep on the mound, too. They haven't really – They don't have – but not Florida. <laughs> they're definitely not Florida deep on the mound. They've been trying to figure out their Sunday starter spot. Right. But they're, they're, they have talent that's definitely going to be very good. Florida has talent that is very good. But I – 
top to bottom in the, in the lineup, Mississippi State is is strong. Um, you have Jake Magnum, um, freshman, just going completely out of completely yeah. off. He's seen four twenty two. You have Jacob Robson, and uh, you know it just goes all the way down. You know, Reed Humphreys, low you mentioned, and uh, I really like Eli Morero. He's not hitting quite so well, but he's a freshman catcher. You know, I'll give him give him a pass on uh, on. on you know, some of the, the when average I, there. When I, when I see them play, on, uh, whether it's SEC Network or wherever, it just feels like those guys play with energy. Um, they do have – I guess they're like a NC State's lineup, only I think a little bit better. And that top to bottom, any of those guys can hurt you. Um, I guess what I'm trying to figure out with them is just I can't figure out – like do we judge them by their ceiling or do we judge them by – are they this team that could be like a – number three or four national seed but lose a, a regional at home, are they that because they don't have a star? They feel like they're like a better version of NC State. Well, I will say they that... They do have Dakota Hudson. Well, that's a, that is a concern right now um, because Dakota Hudson, for the first two months of the season, was absolutely lights out. And it's now three weeks in a row that Dakota Hudson is not lights out anymore. And this is a... Increasing concern, I think. I don't. I don't think this is just a thing that's happening. I think that I haven't talked to many people about this, but Dakota Hudson now in his last three starts has a 7.85 ERA Ooh. and a WHIP of over two, um, and he has thrown 67 innings now, which is a career high, right. even when you include his summer ball. His season is very reminiscent of what Chris Stratton did for his career track. It's very reminiscent of Stratton's his he, junior year. He hadn't, Hudson hadn't really been able to, to crack the rotation there. Uh, his first couple of years he'd been uh, more in the bullpen because of command problems. He, he just hadn't thrown that much. So now he's thrown more, and he started so good. It was 092, a whip of 1.027, 56 Ks, 18 walks in his first seven starts. And now, I mean, he has faced really good competition the last three right. starts. That is definitely part of it. It's LSU, A&M, and Florida. Those are, those are three difficult teams. But they're going to need him to get back to being what he was before if they're going to you know, reach their ceiling. So now they're at Alabama and Auburn and home to Mizzou and Arkansas. None of those, uh, none of those four teams is guaranteed of being a regional team. In fact, I would say right now, well, Alabama is the only – one of those teams that had yeah. a shot of being an at-large team. Yeah, they're the, only, they're the only one that would, yeah. Arkansas maybe has an outside chance, but right now Alabama is the only one that would. I mean, Mississippi State's RPI is a little bit lower than you would think, uh, considering what I feel like is a, a really stout schedule they've played. But, you know, Mike Jimmer, yeah. do you guys feel like, I mean, I feel like those should, they should be favored their next four series. Shouldn't they? If they win those four series, I mean, they're only 10-8 and eight in the SEC right now, but mm. it feels like Mississippi State's on track to be a top-eight national seed, or it has that... Definitely within its control. Yeah, I would say it's. Yeah, they they can they can play their way into it. I think um, the team. I, th- I still think right now I'd have them behind uh, Florida, A and M, and South Carolina. Um, so, but South Carolina still has to play A and M and Florida, so they get Florida this weekend. So, if they were to lose those series, then that would open the door for a team like Mississippi State to uh, to get back into the top eight. Um, but. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the way those three that I'm talking about are one, three, and four in the RPI right now. So that's right. a pretty, pretty big gap. And they obviously have a better conference record um, than Miss, than Miss State at ten and eight. Well, we have eight. But that's you have eight definite SEC teams that are going to be regional teams: South Carolina, yeah. Florida, Vanderbilt, Kentucky from the East, A and M, Ole Miss, LSU, Mississippi State from the West. That leaves these other kind of six teams that are in contention here. 
and Georgia and Alabama have the highest RPIs of those teams. But Tennessee, I guess, had the best weekend, did they not? They did. I mean, they beat they beat Vanderbilt, and um, you know, of those teams, that they definitely had the best weekend. It was a weekend they needed. They desperately needed. Um, they uh, they'd been close in a few series. They came close to beating Ole Miss back on SEC opening weekend. Right. They uh, came close against Auburn. I mean, they really they really needed that, and you know, it's a rivalry too. So that you know, that's uh, makes it makes it extra special for them, I guess. But you know, to to beat Vanderbilt um, is uh, definitely a a good win for Tennessee, and maybe they'll be able to build on it now as uh, as we move forward. And um, you know they're they're going to need to because they have they have work to make up. They've got a really tough end of season schedule though. They right. still have Florida, LSU, and then at Georgia to end the year. Right. If you're going to, so. I mean, their their road series are winnable road series, and that it's Missouri and Georgia. I mean, it yeah. could be tougher. But your home series, they're twelve and seven at home. That record's not likely to get better when you have LSU <laughs> and Florida at home. And yeah. they had Nick Zenzel play shortstop this weekend. Uh, I, mean, I give kudos to Tennessee that they that they won that weekend series, even with Zenzel not having a great weekend. You know, uh, I think what he had two two hits the whole weekend. Um, he wasn't great this weekend. I mean, I know that every team that plays Tennessee is going to say like, "We're not giving Nick Zenzel anything to hit." It does feel like they've been uh, they've figured out ways to score. Even when he's constantly pitching, their right. offense is way more than just him. It's been true yeah. all year. Right. Uh, they have a good offense. It's uh, it's on the mound. That, you know, especially with, without Kyle Serrano now down with TJ uh, for a few months. They, I mean, that they've got to figure their pitching out. And but they can hit. That, that's a team that definitely can hit. Feels like Warren and Cox pitched well for them this weekend. Um, you know, and that, of course that's been the bugaboo for the program for several years, which is just so. Stunning that that's Kyle, that's Dave Serrano's mo is is pitching and um, I guess I thought they'd find a few more Zach Godleys in this time. He's like my Tennessee pitching personal cheese ball. The last five years, I'm not quite sure why. Um, now, Mike, what's your what's your take on the rest of these other teams like Alabama and Georgia? These other kind of SEC bubble teams mm-hmm. are these guys? You know, wh- how would you handicap those teams? Uh, and Georgia. So they had a chance this weekend to get a, yeah. a significant notch on their belt as Robert Tyler goes out Thursday, beats uh, – I need to get the win because it was a long extra inning game. But they beat Florida in the opener 2-1. They weren't able to steal one more, which I guess you know kind of tells you a little bit about the Gators. Um, but yeah. what's Georgia's prognosis going forward? This is a junior class of guys that were pretty heavily recruited. They got some of those guys like Tyler and Wren into, into campus – they haven't quite been able to break through. Do you feel like they, they have a chance to get a signature win, uh, a signature series win going forward? They're going to have a couple opportunities. Um, you know, their next series is at Vanderbilt, and then they have Ole Miss after that. If they can, the win. SEC affords you these opportunities. Yeah, so if they can, if they could win one of these series, you know, maybe you know, never say never. Um, and they do have they have beaten Alabama in, in a weekend right. series, which they have, um, I guess, in their advantage. You know, I do like I do like Bama's. Resume overall um, a little bit better, I feel like, and you know they've been a team that's been in our top twenty-five at times, and and I feel right. like just with their pitching staff, they're they're built to win a little bit better at, at this point. But um, you know, so I'd give them maybe a, a slight edge going forward. But I mean, Georgia's going to have opportunities here with these next two weekends. Should they be able to squeak out a series win? You know, they could put themselves on the radar, and they they finish against Tennessee too. So. 
um, you know, those two teams will be battling for. You that, know, that could be very that, interesting. Yeah. Interestingly, so. Georgia has a significantly better RPI right now. They're they're top thirty and they're twenty eight, and Alabama's at forty one. Yeah, that that seems odd. I guess that that series yeah. winning in South Carolina. Yeah. Has to mean a lot. South Carolina leads the SEC. That's huge for sure. Third in the RPI. Teddy, you're going to go down there and see this the series this weekend. Let's let's look ahead a little bit in the podcast as we wrap up. Florida, South Carolina. I mean, like uh, South Carolina's pitching, Schmidt and Webb have been outstanding on weekends all year. Um, but this weekend they're matching up with with a Gators team that's got the best rotation in my mind in the country. Um, how do you handicap that series? I mean, I've got to guess that you're giving Florida an edge there. I mean, yeah, I don't know that I've yeah, – I can't imagine picking against Florida. Um, but South Carolina is going to be tough. They're tough at home, and it's a good team. It's a really good team. It's going to be one of the – you know, Florida's already played Mississippi State. They've already played A&M. So right. it's not like they haven't played – they've played Miami. So they've played good teams before. It's going to be another team, you know, on that level. It's a deep lineup. Gene Cohn is – uh, just set the program record with a 27-game hitting streak. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, he's on fire, um, which is kind of picked up because John Jones has cooled off slightly. He's no longer hitting almost 500, which uh, <laughs> that was going to happen at some point. But I mean, it, you know, they've got Destino, they've got John Jones, they've got Dom Thompson Williams. You know, it's a, it's a deep lineup, and uh, you know, Florida has the pitching to handle it, but they're they're going to have to prove it again, um, or you know, they're going to have to do it again. That. Um, and they're going to have to do it against a, a pretty tough rotation. You know, Clark Schmidt has been nails all year, and Braden Webb uh, has that been... That one-two punch is... Yeah. That, 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 that's uh, not one that... I mean, you could see the talent with those two pitchers coming into the year, but obviously Webb's a freshman, albeit a... What is he, 45 years old? He's like my <laughs> age. Um, you know, he's had injury issues. He's older. He hadn't pitched in basically two years, and right. Clark Schmidt was uh, was mostly a reliever last year. Do you have any worries of fatigue with these guys? I mean, they're go- they're, this is the 10th week of the year. Uh, with every freshman pitcher, I've, I've worries this time right. of year. I mean, you're getting to the point where your high school season is pretty much wrapping up for most right. of these kids. Um, so from Webb's standpoint, yes. Schmidt, a little less so. I suppose it is a concern. I don't remember how many innings he threw last year. He's well past whatever it was. Um, Blown past it. Yeah. Uh, and he's on pace to throw like 122. It's, uh, it, they're, they're using him a lot. But he he seems – I'm less concerned about him having been through college, having been in the college weight room and, right. and everything, than I am about Webb, who, you know, again, hadn't pitched in two years basically and is, you know, just a freshman. The other thing, it's always unusual. I guess it's less unusual in college, but just to see the left-handed closer – you know, and that like that. Well, it's Reagan. definitely not unusual in South Carolina. Where right. The bullpen is named for Michael Roth. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and and uh, uh, who was the left hand of the, re- the Yankees drafted? Tyler Webb. Is that his name? Yeah, Webb. I mean, this, so they've 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 gone this route before. It's not new for them. Um, it does seem like Tyler Johnson has been really good for them in middle relief of late. Again, we, we focus on those top two starters for them with good reason because Schmidt and Webb have been so good. But it feels like they've, they've developed a little bit more answers um, in their pitching staff as well all year. So, I mean, we talk about Florida's pitching depth and how, you know, uh, their fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, quote-unquote, starters, guys who are in their bullpen, would be weekend guys for most other teams. I feel like South Carolina's pitching depth is definitely nothing to sneeze at either. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Johnson uh, is the better prospect than Reagan, and, and he'll probably close – well, I don't know if he'll close next year. But, uh, you know, he'll be, uh, he'll be a good draft pick. Scouts are interested in seeing him next year, and um, you know they like what they've seen already this year. And 
South Carolina moved Adam Hill into its rotation, another freshman, and he's pitched pretty well in that Sunday spot. So you know, there, there's definitely uh, good pitching over on South Carolina. That's, that's part of the reason why this is happening. I guess it's uh, called Founders Park now is what they call mm-hmm. it. It was Carolina Stadium, but now it's Founders Park. That, that joint's going to be rocking this weekend. I've seen a couple of Florida-South Carolina games in person there. I feel like there's a nice baseball rivalry uh, between those two, uh, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan and Chad Holbrook, where I believe peers in the ACC. I think they, their careers overlapped by at least one year in 1990. I don't know if Kevin O'Sullivan ever threw out Chad Holbrook. I'd love to see that right now. <laughs> uh, did you see... Chad's uh, dropped a few ticks on the uh, well, 2080 scouting scale for speed. The South Carolina, I don't know exactly what, what happened there, but Chad Holbrook raced one of the players and beat him. Uh, he raced their first, one of their first basemen. And, uh, Chad. I can tell you Chad had wheels as a player. <laughs> Chad was very fun to cover when, I was, when we were both students at North Carolina and uh, was with his teammate uh, Paul Shuey in the booth this week for that North Carolina Coastal Carolina game. And uh, Paul Shuey had good stories about Chad Holbrook's speed. Yeah, he did not know that his former teammate Mark Kingston was now a college baseball coach. He knew about Chad. He didn't know Mark was coaching in South Florida. He was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you could go over to the South Carolina official Twitter account and see uh, Chad Holbrook beat Ross Groseverner in a, in a foot race. I don't. I, I think it was a 60. I'm not positive. I'm going to take a look at that. Um, <laughs> last thing, uh, guys, uh, we, the Big 12, we should touch on it. Was it a great weekend in the Big 12 when your two standard bearers both lose series? But I guess I'm almost like trying to figure out. I was pretty excited about Texas Tech, the way they played, the moves they'd made, taking seizing hold of first place in that league. As a team that just went to Omaha two years ago, they go to Texas, and Texas has had a brutal year, brutal. And uh, they didn't. And speaking of brutal, what was it seventeen to one was the final score of that rubber game this innings. weekend? Yeah. Run ruled in the in Sunday. That's no good. What do you guys <laughs> make? What what is there? What is there to make of the Big Twelve conferences? Any of these teams? I, I, I you know, Mike, I'll start with you. Is any team in the Big Twelve in your mind an Omaha threat? Um, or, or, I mean, do, they, do, they, do, any, do any of these teams have <laughs> Omaha talent? I mean, because we thought TCU would be one of those teams yeah. all year, but I'm starting to lose a little faith in the Horned Frogs. Yeah, they've 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 struggled a little bit uh, of late. I, I still think of all those teams, they have probably the most talent and probably the the most Omaha capable. I I do like Oklahoma State too, who we just brought back into our top 25. Right. You know, they don't necessarily jump out as far as raw tools. You know, draft-wise, but they're you know a veteran team, and you know I like I like their pitching. Um, I, I like you know I think they have a legit ace and hatch, and um, you know I think they have a, a deep bullpen too. Um, they play Texas Tech this weekend at home. Yeah, I mean this is really like you know, this, this these two weekends are pretty much it in the Big Twelve for the rest of the country to pay attention. Yeah. If you're not a Big Twelve fan, pay attention last weekend and now this coming weekend. <laughs> TCU played at OK State. They lost the series. Yeah. Now they got Texas Tech coming home. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm just I'm a little stunned. I guess I thought TCU would be better, Mike, and they really haven't. Yeah. They don't really have a big statement weekend, do they? I miss it's, it. still, it's still the Houston College Classic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they did lose a lot from last year. You know, they right. were, they were going to have some ups and downs this year, but you know, I think overall talent wise, and they've they've dealt with some injuries too, not having Traver and right and, and guys like that. So you know, they've they've had to battle through some things. Um, but I I don't know. I still like of all those teams. I still feel like they're the most dangerous when it comes to postseason time. I guess they are. I mean, like it's a good point. They had how many pitchers drafted last year in the first three rounds? Like four, 
And they lost Traver, the best returning pitcher they had. And they've lost, you know, much of their starting lineup too. So I'm definitely not backing off them. I yeah. think I think they're still really good. Um, they're they've had a couple shakier weekends. This is you know absolutely. Uh, this weekend was not great going on the road to Stillwater and, and not winning that series. Um, but if anyone from that conference is going to do it, I think it's them, and I think it's. You know, I, I I still I still have them in my eight for Omaha. I you know I I'm not backing off that. I think the coaching there is good. The players Absolutely. are good. Um, you know, they're gonna. I, I feel good about them come tournament time. The one thing I want to say about Texas Tech, um, you know, having just mentioned concerns about freshman starter freshman pitchers in general, right. Texas Tech is running out an all freshman rotation, and it's worked to this point. But at some point, one of those. At least one of them, you would have to figure, is going to hit going to hit the freshman wall. The coaches talk about maybe it happened this weekend. Maybe that's right. what that was, um, and it's how they respond to that is going to be interesting. The the crazy thing about this conference right now is looking at Texas. I mean, they've they've taken series against both Texas Tech and TCU <laughs> to this point, and you know you look at how they played in the beginning of the season in non conference play. I mean, swept in four games by by Cal. So that's looking a little bit worse. Lost the series to UCLA. Lost the series to Tulane. I don't know. Texas is still tough. under 500. Yeah. Uh, it's played a very stout schedule, um, but they're still not even a top 100 RPI team. And they have Oklahoma State coming up next. So that Texas Tech series sweep, Jimmer, does that? How much does that damage Texas Tech's chances to be a top eight national seed? Like if they were to win the Big 12. It felt like they could have been a top eight national seed, but I don't I think if they win this weekend, they still would be on course to be. I mean, certainly this hurts. I mean, they're down to 15 in the RPI, so that's, you know, shaky. But it would bounce back if they win this weekend. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's – I mean, I, I agree with Teddy. I still want to believe in TCU. Um, but I don't – it's going to be tough for both those teams to be in the top eight. I think I've had them both in the top eight the last couple of weeks. But I think that looks less uh, likely – the more we go along here with TCU's 21 in the RPI, so they would have to finish strong. Um, I still feel like I do believe in mm-hmm. TCU when it's all said and done, but I'll believe more if they win this series yeah, exactly. this weekend. You know, I yeah. want I want to believe, to use the X-Files uh, phrase. Uh, last uh, big eight, top, top eight national seed team I'll throw out there that we haven't discussed, Coastal Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are, they're under the radar, but they are in that mix. They have three straight road series, one of them being at Georgia Tech. Uh, this weekend, out of conference, feels like if Coastal Carolina wins that series and takes care of business against Liberty and Charleston Southern, and they kind of have owned Liberty over the years, um, feels like Coastal Carolina like this weekend's a huge series. Yeah, if they win a road series against an ACC team, uh, feels like that's going to really help their case to be a top eight national seed. And there's nothing that they want more, not just to host a regional. They've done that before. But when they had their best team in whatever, 2010, 2010 yeah. uh, Lestella and Motter and Rico Noel and all those guys, Cody Wheeler, who just got released, uh, Anthony Mayo, that team's problem was they had to play a Super Regional against South Carolina. And that was a great Super Regional, but South Carolina was just a hair better. Mm-hmm. Um, feels like if Coastal's ever going to get its desire to go to Omaha, yeah, think- they have to be a top eight national seed because otherwise you're going to get sent to, Coast- to-, to South Carolina in a Super Regional, and that's just... That's asking a lot. Doesn't mean they couldn't win it, but they'd rather play someone else at home. Yeah, I was talking, I threw this out on Twitter last night that this does feel like a year where if there was going to be four national seeds from one conference, so this is kind of heading that way if there's going to be a year for it. I think, but if you're talking, if, if there is a team to 
that would get it instead of a fourth ACC or SEC team, I think right would now would be Coastal. They're 11th in the RPI. They have a top 20 strength of schedule. Uh, they're they do they're only a five and five against the top 50, but this weekend would be a big step for them if they can win a series at Georgia Tech. Uh, they're dominating the Big South. Well, do, need to, do need to win this weekend or yeah. this tonight rather? It's high yeah. point rubber game of that series. But uh, yeah, I think they're they're 11th in the RPI. They're I mean Lafayette is the other team that could, but they are still second place in the Sun Belt, so that would be an issue. Um, they've got to get past South Alabama, which is. So, so it's doable. South Alabama's kind of sliding back a bit, and they do have the head-to-head but, series still. Yeah, so they they've still got their shot there, but they are they're they are as of now they're behind South Alabama. They're four in the games standings, back. So. It's, it, they have they have a lot of work to do. Whereas Coastal, yeah, Coastal controls its destiny yeah. basically. I I like Coastal's team in that first look. I will say Michael Piaz at shortstop, he was iffy on defense. I didn't think that was a great-looking defensive team. Remillard at third base looks very good for a third base. But I know their coaching staff thinks very highly of them. I, I like their depth on, in their bullpen. They've got left-handed and right-handed options back there. Morrison's been outstanding. Austin Kitchen, the left-hander for them, has been outstanding. And looked it was a good look against uh, North Carolina. There's physicality there with uh, Coastal Carolina. They can bang the ball as well. But uh, I, wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want them in a Super Regional coming to my – ballpark there they would have a chip on their shoulder but if you also are looking at it nationally if you were a team that won a regional and you had to go on the road for a super would you rather go to an ACC team an SEC team or coastal you'd probably rather go to coastal if that team that hasn't gone to Omaha Mm -hmm. and hasn't broken through yet so that that team's just to be fascinating to watch because that I just can't have to imagine how much would mean to that program they're going to the Sun Belt soon, and this might be their last year in the Big South, right? It is, yep. Last year in the Big South, that would mean something, I think, really significant to a guy like Gary Gilmore, who's built the program from scratch, built the ballpark, as you detailed last year, Jim. And if they could get to Omaha in their last year in the Big South, I mean, that would be a monumental achievement. And they really want it, and they really yeah. want to host in that ballpark. Yeah, this that is ballpark why they built is, that ballpark. That ballpark is amazing, and if... If they do host down there, it's going to be an electric atmosphere. Like you as an opposing team probably would want to go there versus SEC or ACC, and they're all going to be pretty good environments for a Super Regional. Right. But that that place, I was there on opening weekend just on a Sunday, and it was a, a huge crowd, and they were all into it. And so I can only imagine what it would be like if it was a Super. But it's, but it's 5,000 versus if you went to, say... Right. Yeah, um, it's, it's half the size of South to, Carolina. I was say, if you went to Starkville, and it's 12,000... And you know you're you're trying to concentrate on pitch. And wait a minute, do I smell barbecue? You know, like, <laughs> uh, just a little bit different, just a little bit different deal. So you might uh, smell the beach though in, in coastal. Though. Uh, Kramer would Kramer rather play his exactly. super regional at the at coastal than he would at Starkville. Beach, exactly. <laughs> I, honestly, Starkville versus Myrtle Beach, advantage Myrtle Beach. You know, maybe it's like it's like it would be like taking an AC, uh, an NBA road trip in Atlanta where there's too many distractions. You know, and imagine for a college kid. Opposing college coach rather go to Starkville where there are no distractions. Coastal Carolina, there's some distractions there. All right, uh, on that wonderful inside note, we should probably wrap up this podcast. Guys, uh, thanks for everything. Thanks to SeatGeek for uh, its sponsorship of the podcast. And thanks to Dave Slade, who has more to tell you about our college baseball podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Visit BaseballAmerica.com for more podcasts. Today's Baseball America podcast was sponsored by SeatGeek. 
Baseball America podcast listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BA20.